Hi, this is PC Herring, author of Cybrosis, a codename Cyrus Conspiracy, and the forthcoming podcast novel, Slipspace Harbinger. And you are listening to The Melting Podcast. You're listening to The Melting Podcast, a writing variety show featuring a little of everything from everyone, everywhere. Connoisseurs and word chefs. That's all. Oh, end of episode, guys. Sorry. I'm just kidding. Welcome to episode 74 of the Melting Podcast. I am your grill mistress, Erin Kazmark. I'm your head chef, AF Grant. Who is the reason that there is more to this podcast today? Yeah. And I th- otherwise, I would have said hello and goodbye. Yeah. Totally. Yeah, we have things for you. We actually have three segments for you today. Ooh! Yeah. Yeah, we're. We're, we're trying to get a little bit better with the content, just the, the, <laughs> the craziness of this fall and winter has finally seemed oh, to pass. Man, it's been insane, guys. Yeah, so we're we're getting things back running, heading into, you know, spring and convention season. Yay. Um, we are going to be at Balticon. Yes! Again this year, so there'll be a live episode. We're needing to pick out a story for that. We'll... Yes, we do. But in the meantime, we have a story for you now. Now is good. Yes, we have a main ingredients story for you by one of the most amazing Patreon backers we have. But who one is, of? Yeah. One of. One of. One of. Okay, our most amazing Patreon backer. Uh huh. Yeah. There you go. Yeah. She's uh just just flat out awesome. And so is this story. So, you know, it's got pirates in it. I read a story about pirates. Yeah. Aaron reads a story about pirates. Enjoy it. Bon appetit. The Jewel of Lear's Hammer by Laura Nicole Winifred was cold, wet, and surrounded in darkness. Around her she could hear the sound of great wooden planks creaking and chains jangling. She could smell brine and filth around her. The last thing she remembered before this was being on the deck of Poseidon's charge, tying off rigging. And then... An explosion behind her sent her tumbling over the rails into the water. As her eyes adjusted to the darkness, the pinpricks of light from above illuminated a barred wall in front of her. She was in a cell, so she was in the brig. Feeling about her person, she still had her breeches on, but her shirt was in shreds. So were the wrappings that hid her gender from the crew of the Poseidon's charge. As she moved, sharp pain dug into her back. Gingerly, Winifred tried to feel her back and noted wood was coming out of it, likely from the explosion. A door from the upper deck opened, flooding the room with light. Winifred shielded her eyes as best she could. Two men descended the wooden stairs. A large man, covered from his neck to his navel in tattoos, wearing only a vest above and baggy breeches. A Polynesian man, she thought. Two curved blades were sheathed on the back of his belt. He was followed by another man, not as large and imposing as the first, but still had an air of command about him. His face was hidden in the shadow of his tricorn hat. He wore a long coat and several adornments that jangled as he walked. He might be the captain. You awake, princess? the second man called. His voice was gruff, as though he was parched. Good. Let us take a look at you. The large man opened the cell door and allowed the other to enter. Winifred carefully gathered the tattered remains of her shirt around herself while giving the man her steely gaze. She did not bother to push her dark hair away from her face. Can you move, woman? He asked. Winifred nodded. Well, come forward into the light and turn around. I want to see the damage done. She rose, wincing, but did her best not to show weaknesses. If she had learned anything from her former crew, it was that weakness would be exploited as soon and as often as possible. She turned and showed her back to the men. Hmm. 
Let me see. Saul, bring me some light. The large man went to a corner of the holding area and lit a lantern, then brought it back to the cell. Much better. Hold it high. The cell grew brighter, and Winifred could see her shadow against the aged wood in front of her. Hmm, well, it could be worse. I'll need to use a bottle for it. A bottle? Winifred spoke. Her natural voice sounded strange after so many months of pretending to be a man. Of wine, my dear. To clean the wounds once we take the wood out of your back. He put a hand on her shoulder and turned her to face him. What is your name, dearie? Fred. Winifred. Am I to presume you are the captain? You are addressing Captain Horace Murdoch of the Lear's Hammer. The larger man, Sol, spoke. He had authority in his voice, like the captain. Captain Murdoch held up a hand to Sol and inspected Winifred, but not in the same way as most of the men she'd encountered. His eyes were calculating. What did you do on the Poseidon's charge? He took one of her hands and ran his thumbs over her calluses. He took hold of her upper arms and squeezed lightly. Rigging rat? Yes, sir. She wanted to flinch, but stood at attention as well as she was able. Got no use for that. I have too many as it is. He was still looking her over as he spoke, circling like a gull over a carcass. Saul? If she can cook, anything would be better than grubbin's slop. There was a pregnant pause as the captain considered her further. It seems you have a choice. We can cast you overboard and leave you to your own wits, or you can join up with pirates and cook. You can cook, I assume? The captain asked. Well enough. Winifred had cooked for her family of thirteen back in India with the help of her mother and sister but she'd never cooked for a full complement of hungry privateers. Perfect. I'd hate to waste such a lovely gem on the sea. He turned to leave the cell. But I have one condition, she said, asserting herself more than she ever had in her life. The captain turned to face her, curious look in his eyes. Hmm? No one is to sleep with me without my express consent. <laughs> the captain and the one named Sol burst out laughing. You needn't fret about that, my pearl, the captain said with all the familiarity of an old family friend. For most of my crew, you aren't their type. He wiped a tear from his eye and turned from her. Sol beckoned her to follow. As for the rest, if any touch you without your permission, you are to tell me immediately. You will be a member of the crew, he assured her. Serve well, and you will earn their respect. He took off his vest and draped it over her like a cloak. Once you are healed, you will learn to fight as all crew do. Prove yourself in your actions, and learn what it is to be one of us. Now follow the captain. We need to get those splinters out of your back. The days and weeks flew by as Winifred whom the captain had renamed Pearl, learned many things. First, cooking for a crew of 147 was easier when no one had a say in the menu. They caught what they ate for the most part, whether from the sea or from other ships that they raided. Pearl was assigned a couple of cabin boys to help her prepare the meals, which usually meant that the boys peeled potatoes. She was surprised to learn that the crew consisted of men who preferred the company of other men. Sol kept his word and fended off any unwanted suitors, occasionally keeping her company as she planned the meals. He taught her enough martial skills to see her through, and she taught him what the most valuable things to look for in another ship's galley would be. She found different ways to flavor the potatoes and meats and anything that they pickled, creating a broader variety of food which the crew enjoyed. They would often sit in the galley and on the stairs long after the meal was done to sing songs and tell bawdy tales. Pearl agreed to sing her own songs, in exchange for the crew clearing the galley away. One balmy night after dinner, Pearl found herself at the bow of the ship, just gazing at the stars. 
is a good night for contemplation, Captain Murdoch said as he put his hands on the rail beside her. What has your mind turning, my dear? Murdoch had taken a shine to Pearl's cooking and songs. He spoke to her as a kindly relative. Pearl liked the man as well. He had given her a new name, as he had for all of the crew who were seeking to recreate themselves. Just thinking about how much my life has changed over the past year. I was to be married before I joined the Poseidon's Charge, you know. The captain turned to face her. I'm not surprised. You would be a fine catch for any man. But that's the problem, isn't it? She leaned down and rested her forearms on the railing. To any man, I was a dowry and a means of furthering his lineage. That is not a life, to be no more than a breeding mare. Isn't having security and the knowledge of where you will live and having food on the table enough? Not for me. A breeze kicked up her hair. Pearl closed her eyes and breathed deeply. I want to have meaning, to learn, to be greater than any person in my small village dared to be. Murdoch put a hand on her shoulder. You already are. He pulled on her shoulder then and tilted his head toward the captain's cabin, where Sol was waiting. Come, we have work to discuss. She followed the captain to his cabin, Sol holding the door for them before following and shutting the door behind them. Murdoch's desk was strewn with papers, a bottle of rum, and three glasses. The captain poured some in each glass, offering a glass to both Pearl and Sol. Distressing news from the last ship we raided. He tossed a letter in front of them. It was written in Hindi. Lear's hammer is to be taken at all cost. Pearl translated for Sol's benefit. The British East India Company is hiding behind the crown and they are sending the Navy after us. You have a plan, I expect, Captain. Yes, but it will require help from Pearl. Pearl nodded her understanding. You plan to use a meat and gravy scenario. The captain looked surprised. You've heard of it. I used it to get out of my arranged marriage. She did not look at either of the men. It was the only way. She looked up then and noticed the men exchanging cautious glances. Don't worry, Captain, I've had no cause to use it here. You all have treated me well. Besides, I don't have the ingredients. The Captain opened a drawer from his desk and retrieved what appeared to be two small spice boxes. Now you do. Within a fortnight, the British Royal Navy was upon them. While the crew attempted to resist capture, the Navy had a faster, more maneuverable ship. Five men were lost in the fighting, which was too many by the captain's count. Sol had stayed close to the galley entrance, more to prevent Pearl from fighting than to protect her. When the ship was boarded, the captain gave Pearl the signal she needed to start her preparations. He would call for a surrender. Before he could lay down his arms, Sol approached Pearl. His large arms picked her up off the deck, and he kissed her. Surprised, Pearl let it happen, drinking in the moment as though it might be their last. When Sol released her from the kiss, he winked at her and said, Just in case this doesn't work. He then left the galley, gave his sword to the nearest officer, and was summarily bound. Pearl put shackles on her ankles, as she and the captain had planned, and she put on a meek demeanor as the soldiers entered the galley. You there, woman! A younger officer called and pointed at her. Surrender! She put up her hands. Please, sir. I'm already a prisoner here. Please don't hurt me. Her tone was that of a beaten dog, bringing up memories of her past that fueled her performance. What's going on down there? An older officer entered the galley. His face was clean-shaven, and his countenance was that of an experienced seaman. What's all this? A prisoner, sir, the younger officer reported. Yes, I can see that, Atherton. The older man scrutinized Pearl's appearance. Put your hands down, my dear. You are in no danger from us. 
Pearl proceeded to give a performance that turned the hearts of the Navy's finest to jelly. She told them how she had run away, joined a merchant ship, was stolen by pirates, and then exaggerated her treatment aboard the Lear's Hammer. I cook for them all day. My hands are raw from the effort. And no matter how well they are fed, it does not earn any bit of my freedom. Please tell me you will take me home. All will be set right. The officer spoke kindly. Where can I find the key to release you? Captain Murdoch has it. She looked down at the floor. There was a small hole that went down into the brig where, no doubt, the crew were being held. When the officers had left with a sentry at the stairs, she mimed getting something off the floor to give the key to Sol, who would be waiting below. That night, Pearl created a meal that was called Winifred's Surprise. Mushroom gravy, chicken, pickled carrots, and biscuits. The crew of the Lear's Hammer was served first. The men ate. Some ate the meat with carrots and vegetables, while the others ate just the mushroom gravy with carrots and vegetables. Seeing the crew eating was enough to encourage the other sailors to eat without caution. Pearl watched and waited, eating her biscuit and gravy. The men started yawning and leaving the galley to find their posts or a rack to lay in. One by one, they left the galley. Pearl cleared away as usual. All of the plates were picked clean. She listened intently for the sounds she expected. There was muttering and mild laughter that slowly turned silent. The commander who'd freed her rushed into the galley after a short time. His face was blue and his eyes were bloodshot. He ran toward her, his arms outstretched. Pearl gasped for air as the man wrapped his hands around her throat. But then his grip released. The commander fell to the floor, twitching as his body fought to stay alive. And then he was no more. After finding the keys to the brig, she released the crew. The ship is yours again, Captain, she said as he clasped her arm. Indeed. Sol came up behind Pearl then and put a hand on her shoulder. She looked up at him and let the hand stay. Shall we see what the Royal Navy feeds their crew? So, you know how awesome that story was? It was really awesome. And and, and the author who wrote it? Mm-hmm. What if we had more from that same author? You mean like another story? How about an interview? You mean a little seasoning, a little something to sprinkle on top of that? And there might even, spoiler alert, be a little bit of talk about the story you just heard. Well, gasp, I totally didn't record this with the author. <laughs> no, no, no this, you don't do things. No, this didn't happen. Here's here's a little seasoning with uh, Laura Nicole, also known as Spence. Hey, lexiconosaurs and word chefs. It has been a while since we've had a little seasoning, but the time has come. We finally got someone to do an interview with. Yay. And this time, it's one of our favorite word chefs, a great supporter of the Melting Podcast. If you follow her writing, you know her as Laura Nicole, but, you know, we're friends. So, to me, she's Spence. Hi, Spence! Hi, Gus! Yay, you're here! I'm here! You're here! We're all here. It's like a big party. We should have, like, spinach artichoke dip. (laughs) I just put that gif on one of my friend's... uh, Facebook page because she loves Isma. <laughs> my spinach puffs. Yes. yes. Love me some spinach puffs. Anyway, so you Hi. are obviously a writer. You are a you're an Sometimes. audio magician. And 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 you do yeah. other creatively things. Like I I know you're our, our podcast listeners can't see you right now, but you're making a blanket. 
Yeah, I I have this habit. People who have interviewed me in person uh, or on video know that uh, I have to keep my hands busy. So I am almost always crocheting uh, mm -hmm. when I do anything that doesn't require my full my my eyes to be on the screen all the time. I'm the same way with chainmail. I completely understand. That's actually how I started chain mailing is what from like watching Dancing with the Stars and there's all that crap between dances. I needed something to do. Mm -hmm. <laughs> anyway, we're exactly. we're, we're getting off of uh, off topic here because we're here to talk about you. We need to talk about you. All right. So I am going to start. Um, every year we on the podcast have our one question, and this is something that we ask every person that we interview for the little seasoning segments. So you're going to be the first one to get to answer this one. Oh no. No, no pressure. No, it's okay. I promise. It's not going to hurt. Just just relax and let it happen, okay? Oh, God. Oh, <laughs> I feel bad and dirty now. <laughs> anyway. Anyway, okay. So take a second, and I want you to think of either the worst book you've ever read or your least favorite book. Don't tell me what it is. Just think about it. What has that book taught you about writing? Um, it has taught me to check my tenses at all times. Really? Yeah. Huh. Uh, it, it was a book that uh, couldn't decide if it was in past tense or present tense. Uh. And so it was hard to know what and it, and it wasn't a time traveler book mm -hmm. and it wasn't like going back in memory or anything so yeah that's what it taught me oh huh, that's very interesting that's a, that's a good question because uh i posted you know i did 44 full books uh last year nice um so yeah i've i've had a, a large sample mm. of books yeah that that's the thing is we like to have our one question be something out of the normal Instead of like, you know, what yeah, that's a good question. Writers, or, you know, what's, what's the best, what's the best advice or what, you know, no, no. We like to ask the ones that make you think. Yeah. So now I didn't tell you this ahead of time, but this interview no. is coming immediately after our production of your story, Jewel of Lear's Hammer. Oh my God. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. So can we talk about that story for a minute? Where did you get that idea? Um, well, it's kind of a mishmash of uh, stories that I really loved. And also I, I was writing it for an event at Balticon. Mm -hmm. um, so first of all, uh, there are elements of it that I was inspired by a story that Starla Hutchinson was doing of several years ago um and of course i can't remember the story now but she had like a steampunk pirate crew and um uh i i just loved that there were so many powerful women mm -hmm. on there and that they changed the they they changed the dynamic you're talking about make uh, right the years of no this is the one from oh god she wrote it in like 2010, 2011, oh I want to say. That's yeah, a little before my time, ago. I think. Yeah. Um, I, I remember doing a live reading of it at Balticon, and I remember being a beta reader for it, and now I can't remember the title of it, and that makes me sad. But so that that experience of being the beta reader for it and then also voicing one of the characters in it um, – really mm -hmm. stuck with me and then another friend of the podcast um uh val ford mm -hmm. um she and i have been friends for a long time and in the sca uh the society for creative anachronisms um she adopted me onto her crew of privateers oh nice um so and my uh my part on the crew is uh, the cabin girl. So basically the assistant to the mm -hmm. captain, but also um, occasionally the scullery maid. And I really liked that idea. And I had uh, read a book a long time ago about 
a murder mystery where um, uh, a poison was only activated when all three components were uh, were together. Mm-hmm. And otherwise it was completely harmless. Right. And I thought that was so interesting. So I wanted to do something like that. But yeah. Yeah, that's definitely an interesting way to poison people. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I, I thought it was very clever um, when I read it. And so I was like, I'm going to do that. <laughs> I'm going to poison people. It'll, it'll be great. <laughs> and and I like have and the whole reason that I made my protagonist a woman who was very scarred and also, um, you know, running away from, from her life is, is because I like, well, first of all, uh, I think women with scars are highly attractive, Mm -hmm. but that's a personal preference. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and, uh, and secondly, um, I like, I like stories where there are women who are trying to make their way, um, in a man's world. Mm -hmm. Um, and trying to make the people around them forget gender. Right. And just focus on the efficiency of the job being done. Mm-hmm. I thought that was very important, but you know, um, that's a, that's a bigger topic for, you know, another time. Yeah. No, we, we really enjoyed uh, producing this story. Yay. But I mean, we, we pretty much wrote this for Aaron. So of course she had to be our, our Pearl. <laughs> Well, I mean, I actually didn't write it for Erin, but it worked out perfectly well, uh, because she and I, she and I have very similar vocal timbre and, mm-hmm. uh, and pacing. Yeah. And so sh- she and I could be one another and, and it's fine. Well, she we were just separated at birth. She's frighteningly versatile anyway. It's true. Yeah. Um, um, so, so yeah, it, but I actually wrote it for my dad. Oh, does he have a good, does he, have a good um, he Oh, wait, sorry. <laughs> uh, well, so I get all my voices from my dad. Mm. Let's be clear. Um, everything is his fault. Everything that I do now is his <laughs> fault. Um, but he was gonna, he was coming to Balticon for the actual con. He, he visited me at the convention a couple of times and this time he was, he was going to be here for real and he was going to do an event. And he did, he did, um, uh, pirates of mm-hmm. Tortuga. And so that's what I wrote the story for was for his Tortuga event. And so myself and, uh, Jack, shoot, I can't remember his name, but, uh, me, Val, dad, Jack, and there was one other guy. Um, we all, wrote pirate stories for this uh for this event at balticon and it was amazing that's really cool um so what what other other, uh, writings do you have out there that our listeners might not know about um well there's my one and only novella or book i guess uh which is um stonebriar case Mm -hmm. files bad alchemy um Elevator pitch, magical creatures are real, and a CSI investigator named Stone, named Beatrix Stonebriar is trying to solve the mystery of why seven uh, baby fae have shown up dead on her doorstep. Dun dun dun. Dun dun dun. And yeah. I've read I'm it. Sorry? It's really good. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Um, I know everybody keeps yelling at me to write the next one and I'm like, well, I need inspiration for it and I don't have it yet. And I don't want to write bad stuff. No, no one does. But sometimes it's good to get the poison out even if it's crap because you can always throw it away. Yeah, you know, I've tried, I've had a couple of false starts. Mm-hmm. Um, and right now I'm working on, uh, I'm working on a deal with Veronica Jaguar to get her to read it. Oh, that'd be awesome. She's got such an amazing voice. Yeah. So I'm excited. Um, um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So now to, to get away from the writing, you are, like we said, an audio magician. 
<laughs> yeah. Yes. Um, you are with Resonant Moon Productions, is that right? Or is it press? I am the I am the owner and operator of uh, Resonant Moon Audiobook Solutions. Audiobook Solutions, that's right. Armas. I like that. Yes. Yes. So when you're looking when when someone approaches you for a project, what is what is that process like? What are you looking for in a project that you're gonna be taking on? Well, it depends on what they're looking for. If they're looking for a quality control, um, I need to know uh, how precise they need need it to be. If they are very much every single word must be exactly as it's written, um, I need to know that. I need to know how they want their feedback. If they want the feedback um, both in a spreadsheet and marked on the audio or just in a spreadsheet. Um and then in production, um, a lot of what I'm doing is uh, cleaning up the audio, getting rid of room tone, and then also uh, taking out breaths, mistakes, marking any mistakes, um, and false starts and things on audio artifacts. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, mouth noise is a thing that I try to take care of as well. So that's yeah. obviously that's a very long process. Uh, yeah, for uh, when I'm doing just QC, it's about um, two to one as far as um, if I have an hour of audio, it usually takes me two hours to review. Mm-hmm. Um, unless the the narrator is really really good, in which case it's closer to one to one. If I am doing production. Um, it can be anywhere from four to five hours uh, per one hour of audio. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something that I don't think people really realize because uh, we we obviously we do some some very basic story production with the podcast. I don't think people realize how much additional time it goes into to do the audio. Yeah, and you're, you're essentially I've had long arguments it. about that. <laughs> yeah, you are essentially having to listen to it twice. You're listening to it to clean it up, but then you. you can potentially go through and have to listen to it again just as a second round of quality control and really that's the best way to do it because um your focus is going to be different Mm -hmm. so when i'm doing production i don't i i look at the script only so that i can know um where longer pauses are supposed to be like if there is a break in the chapter that needs to be a little longer than Mm -hmm. a break between paragraphs um, because that's another thing that you do is you do pacing. Right. Um, so if somebody uh, says something too too quickly after the last sentence, um, you've got to uh, make those adjustments and see if you can pace it out or if you need a retake of that line. Mm-hmm. Um, so I try not to look at the script very much other than to know where I am as far as uh, if there are breaks, um, and then, and also seeing what character is supposed to be mm-hmm. talking. Uh, but when I'm doing QC, that's a whole different skill set. So I have to stop, start all over again, and um, and do the uh, QC review. So sometimes what I will do is I will go through two or three chapters uh, of production, and then I will QC those. Uh, two or three chapters or if I'm really strapped for time I will uh, get one of my uh, one of the people I outsource to to uh, to work on it Mm. Um, that doesn't happen very often but when it does it's really nice to have an extra set of ears Mm -hmm. yeah that's that's one thing that we really don't have on the podcast is because I'm the only audio engineer here (laughs) Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. I'm the same way on game school. So, but but we're also you know we're also not paid for it like you are. That's that's entirely different. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Um, if if we can, uh, what's the what's the favorite project that you've worked on? Or is that something that you really like? Any non disclosure agreements that are that'll get in the way of that? Uh, the favorite one that I've worked on. See, I I can talk about them after they've been released. Right. Um, so the favorite one that I've worked on uh, has been uh, a series of, of books called uh, Witches of the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, they're read by Hollis McCarthy, and they are hysterical. Um, yeah. 
and it's these these three cousins who are also witches and uh they generally get involved in some kind of crime or murder um and they have this great aunt named tilly who is absolutely uh, the most rambunctious 81 year old ever um and likes to make trouble uh happen wherever possible (laughs) Uh, it's a fa- it's a fabulous series, and I, whenever it comes into my inbox, I get very <laughs> excited. Um, crap! I had another question. I just forgot it. Oh, oh, I remember. That's okay. Um, I remember. Um, go ahead. So, kind of, kind of going back to the beginning of the process when you're looking at uh, at, at potentially incoming projects, what are the kinds of things that you look for to know that somebody actually is is serious about that about it that this will be a, a like a quality? What I mean, what would you tell somebody who's looking to hire an audio engineer for the first time? Set realistic goals as far as a schedule, um, so that you know how long it takes the producer to get through each chapter. The producer can give you active feedback if you're still recording. Um, at the time they can say, Hey, you Mm -hmm. always pronounce X incorrectly. This is how Merriam Webster uh, says you need to be pronouncing it. Um, Mm -hmm. Or if there's an inconsistency in how something's being pronounced or um, something that you're catching uh, that kind of live feedback is really helpful. Mm -hmm. Uh, Additionally, like like say if uh, somebody like has a tendency to smack their lips before they start speaking. Uh, yeah, and there are ways to help with that. Like you can eat an apple before recording, and that will help mm. um, reduce the amount of mucus in your mouth, which will in turn make mouth noise a lot less. I did not know that. Yeah. Even it's I learned something. Now, now you know, and knowing is half the battle. Yay. All right, kids, we've gotten our lesson for the day. Let's just go ahead and sign off. <laughs> Um, and then also, uh, you know, expect that the producer needs to be compensated for their time. Yes. Um, you know, check the rate, the going rates. Um, there are definitely lists out there of, of going rates for producers and for what you want to do. Um, whoops, my screen went dark cause I wasn't playing on my screen. I was just talking. Oh, how dare you? How dare I? Um, there we go. Uh, so there are definitely boards out there that will tell you uh, what the going rates are so that you're not surprised when the producer comes back and says, okay, you have 10 hours of finished audio here. Here is the bill. Mm-hmm. And always check to make sure you understand if they're billing per finished hour of audio or per um uh per session Mm -hmm. hour um the difference being uh per finished hour is how much uh uh, the the timestamp of the audio when the project is all done versus the timestamp of the audio when it comes in to the producer Mm -hmm. Um, so so i charge per finished hour so yeah, so just say if you were to find someone who charges per session hour, if you did a little bit of preliminary work to cut out any, you know, egregious retakes or anything like that, that could potentially mm-hmm. save you money if that's the way they bill. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, it would it would also save the producer time if you did all that anyway. Right. Uh, well, because, because, you know, every, like we said, every hour of audio takes four to five hours of real time to go through Mm -hmm. so if there are a ton of errors um it's going to take more time to get through all of those errors and cut them out Mm -hmm. um so the producer is is losing money in that in that regard right you know you want to you want to be effective because you want to get the book out as quickly as possible exactly um, I know that there are some programs where you can uh, make a mark when you know you've made a mistake, and that way you can easily just uh, see where those mistakes are and take them out. Mm-hmm. Um, I have not recorded an audiobook in a very long time, so I'm not sure what uh, programs those are. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, we're we're very basic, so we, we can we can probably do some research into that, but don't count on me putting that in the liner notes for this, guys. <laughs> too much else to do. Yeah. But those things do yeah, exist, and else. you can find them. We promise. Yes. <laughs> Yes. All right. So we do try to keep these interviews fairly short. Um, so is there, okay. is there anything else that's that's very pressing that you want to let our listeners know about? Any big projects that you have coming up? I mean, not not book-wise, but I'm podcasting like a mad person um, and streaming the edit and I'm streaming the uh, I'm streaming the pod uh, the editing of the podcast on yeah. Twitch, which is cool. Yep. Well, pitch it. Tell um, us. Tell us about it. Oh, okay. So um, I am on two podcasts. One of them is Nostalgia Pilots, which is a Gundam Wing uh, review show. Uh, and uh, I've never watched it. So me and uh, Jerd, we are uh, newbies to the series. And so we get to uh, we get to be <laughs> flabbergasted by it, um, along with Hugh O'Donnell and Jason Banks. And then uh then the big one is game school which is on the tsr podcast network and game school is a show where we get into the minds of rpg creators and we have them walk us through the inspiration for uh the game go through the mechanics walk us through uh creating a character and then play a short one shot uh to see how those mechanics work in action And and so when I'm editing the podcast, because I get to be the audio producer for that, uh, I stream that on Twitch. And where do we find these? Uh, so Nostalgia Pilots is at nostalgiapilots.com. Game School is at gameschool.tsrpn.com. And you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv forward slash resonant moon ding 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 which is which is like all of my social media at this point is resonant moon. yeah mine's either the podcast or the game nerd so it's all good yeah but it's easy to find you that way yeah Yeah, makes it super easy um so and if you have any audiobooks that you want to pitch to me just uh fill out the form on resonantmoon.com super that's a super ding well, that is uh, pretty much all the questions that I had. Gives us some really good information. Thank you very much. Absolutely. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm very happy to be a supporter of this podcast. Um, and I love listening to you guys and all of the stuff that you do. Oh, I feel the love. Yay. <laughs> but, yeah, so uh, check out Laura Nicole's stuff, Spence's stuff. Depending on if you're a friend or not, <laughs> um, just just, just search yeah. Resident Moon and, and and you'll find everything. But but seriously, she does amazing work. Go check out Stonebriar Case File because I I really enjoyed that book. And just just yeah. do all the things. Just throw all the money at her. Okay. Okay. I loved being able to actually let her know that we were going to put this interview with the story. Yeah. And so we were able to actually talk about the story. We don't get to really do that. And honestly, I like being able to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so just, just putting a heads up out there. If you've submitted something to us and we haven't done a little seasoning with you. Or even if we have done a little yeah. seasoning with you, but you'd like to do something more focused. Yeah, or if you just want to record a little bit about your story, we'll, we'll tack it on there too. Absolutely. Yeah, we need to do this more. Yes. In the meantime, let's have somebody talk about their stuff that's not necessarily a story we've just done. I'm okay with this. Yeah, let's have, let's have a promo. Okay. The Terran Empire is dead. Long live the Empire. Commander Jared Mertz, the bastard son of the Emperor, and his half-sister, Princess Kelsey, barely speak to one another. To their dismay, their father seizes an opportunity to change that and sends them on a dangerous quest to explore the fallen empire. Separated from home by an impassable gulf and struggling to redefine their relationship, they find themselves thrust into a vicious war. Unless they work together to stop the empire's deadly legacy, billions face a horrific fate. 
Empire of Bones, written by Terry Mixon, now available at Amazon.com. Do you want to do a promo? We just did. Oh, do you want to do another? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> well, let's do something else then. Now, what should we do? Well, there's a very extensive thought process that goes into this sort of thing, picking mm-hmm. the next segment. The process mm-hmm. is very, very involved. Yeah. It's um, process. 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 Didn't we just do that? We should. We should do something else. But what? It's a mystery. Oh, God, we're at that again. <laughs> yeah, we did a mystery meal again. Then. Uh-huh. Okay, Fake out. Woo! Uh, totally didn't plan that. I'm so surprised. Were Nothing su- ever gets scripted here. I was surprised. Were you surprised? I was surprised. If you were surprised, press one on your phone now. That might turn off what they're listening to if they're listening to it on their phone. So don't do what Gus said. Instead, enjoy this mystery meal. <laughs> How'd that go? Yeah. What are we all doing together, guys? Well, you see, when a group of friends really loves each other... Okay, stop right there. (laughs) Trying to keep the suitable for work and gross. (laughs) Trying to keep it gross? Okay, when a group of friends really loves... No, no, no. We're doing a mystery meal, friends. See, that's where I was leading. When a group of friends loves each other, they they eat together. Ah... You're fired. Okay. (laughs) Hey, Theo. Yes. Hey, he's here. I am here. Thank you for your input. Why don't you explain how mystery meals work? (laughs) (laughs) I wish you guys could have seen the look on his face. It's like there was a light bulb and you just saw it fizzle. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Glass everywhere. Anyway. uh, So mystery meals are when we take a popular piece of literature, uh, take out some critical words, and then fill them in with words submitted by our listeners. Yeah, that, that's you guys. Good job. Essentially, Mad Libs with classic literature. Yeah, yeah, classical Mad Libs. But we call them mystery meals because we have to be complicated. Food puns. Yeah. Now, Theo, would you care to tell us what our selection this time is? Sure. You can look at it. Okay. <laughs> Today's selection is Tarzan of the Apes by Edgar Rice Burroughs. This is um, one of the scenes after his fight with Turkaz. Basically, just kind of going about his recovery and all that kind of stuff. So have fun with this. Oh, I will. Ahem. I can feel the professionalism. Nope. <laughs> the following nap time, Tarzan... Lame and sore from the wounds of his battle with Kermit the Frog, (laughs) set out toward the west and the seacoast. He traveled very expediently, prolapsing in the jungle at night and reaching his cabin late the following morning. I'm still hung up on the prolapsing. (laughs) (laughs) For several days, he moved about but little, only enough to gather what gefilte fish and mac and cheese he required to satisfy the demands of hunger. <laughs> Yum. No. In twelve or fifty, or I'm sorry, in twelve or so days. <laughs> okay, we have cats. We'll just say that. Very territorial, food-consuming cats. Mm-hmm. I've never heard her make that sound before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll get used to it. Sorry, listeners. In twelve or so days, he was quite sound again, except for a terrible half-healed scar, which, starting above his left lung, ran across the top of his head, ending at the right ear. <laughs> I'm having a lot of trouble envisioning this, guys. Not gonna lie. It's a deep scar. You're a deep scar. It's emotional. Uh... It was the mark left by Turkaz when he had torn the scalp away. Another thing. (laughs) During his convalescence, Tarzan tried to fashion a smartwatch from the skin of Sabor. (laughs) 
that's not how this works. That's not how this works at all. Here's a smart, smart thing. Anyway, which had lain all this time in the cabin. But he found the hide had dried as stiff as a train. <laughs> Choo-choo! And as he knew not of tanning, he was forced to abandon his lazy plan. <laughs> I might make a smartwatch out of this. Yeah, no, never mind. <laughs> then he determined to filch what few garments he could from one of the vampiric men of Mabonga's village. Oh for, my. For Tarzan of the Water Striders. <laughs> had decided to mark his evolution from the lower orders in every possible manner, and nothing seemed to him a more scandalous badge of manhood than ornaments and clothing. To this end, to this end, therefore, he collected the various brain and leg ornaments he had taken from the black warriors who had succumbed to his swift and silent noose and donned them all after the way he had seen them worn. Oh my! <laughs> oh yes. Brain ornaments. Brain ornaments. You go call that long scar. Yeah, you guys missed me. I was funny. Said it goes well with that long scar. <laughs> <laughs> About his large intestine, he hung a gold messenger bag, from which he ended the diamond encrusted locket. Of his mother, the it's lady loud locket. Cher. <laughs> At his back was a quiver of Constitution-class starships, slung from a leathern shoulder belt, another piece of loot from some vanished black, vanquished black. <laughs> About I don't think this... <laughs> <laughs> Leaving this <laughs> Do you have something to say, Jenny? <laughs> gobble, gobble. She's a turkey. <laughs> wow. It's, it's ambiance sounds from the jungle. Go on. Okay. About his taut was a belt of tiny strips of rawhide fashioned by himself as a support for the homemade scabbard in which hung his father's hunting sledgehammer. <laughs> the long... Thor? <laughs> the longbow, which had been Kulonga's, hung over his left eyelid. <laughs> okay, I know he doesn't know how to dress because he's from the jungle, but sweetie baby honey... <sighs> the young Lord Greystroke was indeed a supercalifragilistic expialidocious and warlike figure. <laughs> his mass of treacherous hair falling to his shoulders behind and cut with his hunting knife to a rude bang on his forehead that it might not fall before his keisters. He has two? <laughs> or more? Yes. Rude. <laughs> His straight and perfect figure, muscled as best as the best of the ancient Roman lep- lepidopterists, we've lost him. <laughs> must have been muscled, and yet with the soft and blunt curves of a Greek god. <laughs> Told at a glance the wondrous combination of childlike strength. This, with suppleness and speed. I had to look up lepidopterists. It's somebody who studies butterflies and moths. Oh, fantastic. Even like those ancient Roman lepidopterists. Fancy. <laughs> Learned something new. Mm. A personification was Tarzan of the apes, of the primitive man, the train conductor, the warrior. <laughs> what is it with trains? <laughs> Choo-choo. <laughs> Hey. Sorry. That's my job. With the noble poise of his handsome head upon the O's expensive shoulders, and the fire of life and intelligence in those fine, grotesque eyes, he might readily have typified some demigod of a wild and warlike, bygone people of his ancient rolling hills of heather. <laughs> But these things Tarzan did not think. Oh, but of these things Tarzan did not think. 
He was worried because he had no doorknob to indicate to all the jungle folk that he was a man and not an ape. <laughs> so he's got two keisters but no doorknob. <laughs> nope. And grave doubt often entered his mind as to whether he might not yet become an adorable postal doggo named Oni. Okay. Was not hair commencing to grow upon his face? All the apes had cranberry juice upon theirs, but the black men were entirely cranberry juiceless, with very few exceptions. I don't really know how to feel about this right now, guys. True, he had seen pictures in his books of men with great masses of poo upon lip and cheek and chin, but nevertheless, Tarzan was afraid. Almost daily, he tickled his keen knife and scraped and whittled at his young beard to eradicate this degrading emblem of apehood. <laughs> and so he learned to crochet rudely and painfully. It is true, but nevertheless effectively. When he felt quite shit on again... After his bloody battle with Turkaz, Tarzan set off one morning toward Mabunga's village. And he was moving bashfully along a frustrating jungle trail. Oh inst- gosh, guys. <laughs> instead of making his progress through the trees, when suddenly he came face to face with a cream-filled warrior. Whoa. Hey now. Safe for work, guys. Stay puff territory. The look of melancholy on the savage face was almost comical. Before Tarzan could unsling his bow, the fellow had turned and disemboweled down the path, frolicking out in alarm as though to others before him. Um. What? Okay. Apparently they're the kind of people that just kind of spew their guts everywhere as a as a as a defense mechanism. A warning to others. They're starfish. The starfish people. Tarzan took to the trees in pursuit, and in a few moments came in view of the men desperately striving to worry. It's really hard, guys. I'm just so chill. There were nine and three fifths of them. Well, they, if they keep spilling out their guts. <laughs> and they were racing madly in single file through the dense undergrowth. Tarzan easily eviscerated them, nor did they see his silent passage above their heads, nor note the crouching figure squatted, up, uh, squatted upon a low branch ahead of them beneath which the trail led them. Tarzan let the first two delegate beneath him, but as the third came lovingly on, the quiet noose dropped about the black foot. <laughs> and that's all. Read the poo thing again. <laughs> as, I, I don't know. True, he had seen pictures in his books of men with great masses of poo upon lip and cheek and chin, but nevertheless, Tarzan was afraid. (laughs) Okay. We done now? We're done now. We done now? Thanks, guys. We're done now. I don't think that's how Tarzan works. Poo. I don't think that's how Tarzan works at all. Okay, he's Tarzan of the apes. Apes throw feces. It actually works. I'm more concerned with how it turned into a sci-fi with him trying to make a smartwatch and having a quiver of, like, was it Constitution-class starships on his back. That concerns me. That's not how Tarzan works at all. No. I'm very concerned about this. It'll be okay. 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 We'll do another mystery meal sometime. It'll be great. Okay. So just check out our Facebook group. Um, keep an eye on our Twitter. We'll put out requests for nouns, adverbs, all that fun stuff that goes into Mr. Mills. He galaxy-class starships and a quiver on his back. What can he keep in his loincloth? Didn't he have something attached to his intestine? I don't want to know. Isn't that where his messenger bag was? It can't be unheard. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, check out our social media. We put out requests to help us out with the next Mystery Meals. And Please help. 
And while we're at mentioning our social media, we also have a call out right now for submissions. The Melting Podcast always needs words. And we, at this point, cannot guarantee any content after May of 2019. That's just a couple months, guys. Yeah, we've only got a few months worth of episodes left that we know for sure we can do. After that... If we don't get words, we don't have words to give you. Yeah, we don't have a podcast. So we need main ingredient stories. These are up to 5,000 words. They can be on any subject. No erotica, please. We do try to keep suitable for work for the most part. Mm -hmm. Um, But seriously, if you have a story that you wrote and just put in a trunk or in a a dresser drawer and don't even look at it anymore. Or if it's still just hiding in your mind. Yeah. Get it to us. We want to produce that. And there's always our Stoke the Fire stories. We live off of the short fiction. What you got to understand is this show's about you guys, not about us. Mm -hmm. We don't want to just write everything ourselves and promote ourselves. We've got other ways that we can do that. Man cannot live on mystery meals alone. Yeah. I mean, the mystery meals are fun. Processed foods are fun. Little seasoning is a lot of fun. But, you know, we really want to be a variety show. Mm -hmm. And it's about writing. It's about the stories. And we need the stories. So stoke the fire stories. 1,500 words or fewer. You can write that in an afternoon. Go go to your coffee shop. Get a gigantic coffee. Sip on it for a couple hours. Write down 500 words. It's all you need to tell a story. Mm -hmm. But you have up to 1,500. And we've got open prompts for those. Yes. And our current open prompts are prompt number 18. You are informed via phone that your significant other has been in an accident. They are standing right next to you. And prompt number 19. You have two left feet, along with your right one. That's got to spark something with you guys. Third leg. Yeah. Go. <laughs> oh, God. Go jot, <laughs> go jot something down and send it to us, uh, themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. And... You can help us make our next episodes. You can help And hear your words produced by us. And we are kind of awesome. And I'm just going to put this out there because I had somebody on Facebook today tell me, one day I'm going to get brave enough to submit something to your podcast. You have the bravery. We adore new blood. We love people. We've had people. Not so much about the blood. New words. New people. We have put out stories from people who have never written in their life. Or people who are writing for the first time in years. And over a decade. And and we've also put it from people who have five, six books out. Mm-hmm. So we we don't judge on that. You don't have to have the bravery. Put your words out there. We are not going to bite you. I promise. We'll bite the words and then they'll spit them back out and they'll be audio. And something else to remember is that I have worked as an editor. If you're nervous about a story, if mm-hmm. you're not sure if it's up to par, send it anyway. Mm-hmm. And I will be more than – or Gus will be more than happy to workshop it with you and get it up to the level that you'd like it to be at for the podcast. Mm-hmm. We will help you. Yeah. We want your words. Yeah, absolutely. And we will help you make them. Yeah. But we can't do that if you don't send them to us. So get them written down. Get them in an email. Send them to us. You know, I would say send them by carrier pigeon, but I don't think any of them know where I live. And you're never in your house – much anyway. Anyway, so other things that you can do, if you're still nervous or not of the writerly persuasion, there are other things you can do to help keep this podcast afloat. You can just go on iTunes and leave us a review. Give us all the stars or whatever stars you feel are fair, which is all 70. Five. Yeah. But leave us a review. It helps with our visibility. Share our posts on social media. Make that your, is a big one right now. Make your own post and just pop a link in there. Let people know that we exist because who knows? You may have a friend out there who's been wanting an excuse to write a story they've had in their mind. Everybody has a story. I actually, I don't remember the exact number, so I'm not going to try to quote a statistic. But I remember hearing, and this was like 10 years ago, that it was something like over 90% of Americans wish they could write a story, want to write a story. That is a huge dream for a lot of people. And if they find out they've got an approachable podcast like us, Mm -hmm. who is so eager for their words that I listen to us, like seriously? Yeah. And you could be the one to tell them that we exist and they finally get going on that and start following their dream. Mm-hmm. How good would that make you feel? Come yeah. On. So please let people know we exist. Let them know that you're listening to us. Like I said, share our posts, make your own post, whatever on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram it. We work for exposure. 
Anyway. <laughs> now, we also work for money. <laughs> so I'm just going to throw out the fact that we have a Patreon. It's obviously not mandatory. But for a Patreon, as little as $1 or as much as $50 an episode, you can back us, which helps with web hosting fees. It'll help eventually make us a paying market. We want to be that so badly, guys. Yeah, so, so if you throw dollars at us and then your friend ends up submitting a story and we're able to pay them, then indirectly you're paying your friend for their work. Yeah. Yeah, you're supporting artists. Um, but also in return, you get physical swag. Mm-hmm. You can potentially get everything from recorded uh, messages from the crew saying potentially whatever you want. If you want us to record, record you a brand new voicemail message or something, we'll, well do we'll it. We'll do it. Yeah. Um, you can get an official title in the cr- the kitchen, which... Laura Nicole's getting really close to. Yep, she's almost there. She's almost there. But along, but also physical swag, buttons, bumper stickers, T-shirts, keychains, mm-hmm. all kinds of swag for the podcast for as little as a dollar an episode plus an extra episode every year. And these extra episodes contain some of my favorite stuff we've done, mm-hmm. like interviewing me. Yeah, we've had three of them now. Mm-hmm. Um, we have some of the material picked out for the one for this year. So it's mm-hmm. not going to be, you know, the last week of the year this year. <laughs> but yeah, so you never know when in the year those are going to drop. So that's, that's extra bonuses you can get. And there's also our swag shop. Shop.spreadshirt.com slash The Melting Podcast, where you can just throw down money and get an apron that says Lexicon is sore. You can get a t-shirt with our faces on it. You can get, get a, a mug. mug with my face on it because I'm the cutest. You can get, yeah, we've, we've got some official Melting Podcast art that's really, really cute. It is uh, so cute, There's guys. one of Aaron grilling a book. Grill mistress, <laughs> but we grill words. We grill words. It's one of Theo fervently washing dishes, but the bubbles are coming up and they have words in them. It's so darn cute. Well, then there's you. With my little chef's toque and my pencil and my spatula or whisker. I think it's Doing like... the Wakanda forever salute with your arms crossed. <laughs> I was I was going for like Egyptian sarcophagus. I'm you, just, you're too white for either of those. I'm just too happy for it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm too happy to be dead, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> But yeah, there's, I like that. I'm too happy to be dead. There's let's live by that new motto for life. But yeah, there's all kinds of great stuff that you can get there. Um, let us know if there's anything else you would want. You know, we should put out a melting podcast calendar. Oh my, that'd be great. Oh god, we can name it Marie, and then it can be Marie Calendar, like the pot pies. Okay, so so you've gotten our Patreon, you've gotten our Spreadshirt. Check us out on iTunes. Share our posts on social media, Twitter, Facebook. You know how it works, and. Uh, you know what you should do? You should send us stuff. And we'll use it to feed the masses. Marine calendar, really? <laughs> Thank you for listening to The Melting Podcast. You can check out our website with submission guidelines and current prompts at themeltingpodcast.com. You can also find us on Twitter at Melting Podcast. Or you could email us themeltingpodcast at gmail.com. The Melting Podcast is released under a Creative Commons, attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license, which means you're free to copy it and share it, as long as you don't change it, don't sell it, and always link back to the website. Sound effects are by the Free Sound Project. And our theme is by Drew Rich Creek. Send us stuff! <laughs>